Welcome to Straight from the Author, a podcast that gives you a front row seat as leading authors discuss their books at a Warren Public Library. My name is Christy Robinette. I'm a psychic medium. I'm a paranormal investigator. I'm an author. I'm a psychic detective, which means that I work with the police on missing persons and cold cases. I have seen spirits since I was three years old, so I don't really know what it's like to not see spirits. My paranormal investigation team says I'm the cheater on the team because, you know, everyone's trying to see the spirits, and I'm like, it's right there. So I'm no fun to paranormally investigate with. I grew up in an extremely haunted house, which I'll talk about later. And my parents were very religious, Lutheran, Missouri Synod. And so anything that had anything to do with the paranormal or the psychic world or the metaphysical was considered evil, occultic, satanic. And they did not like that I had these so-called imaginary friends. Um, I physically see loved ones on the other side in the physical form and sometimes I don't know the difference. I could have a full house here and you could all be spirits. Kind of, sort of. Um, so I always have an audience, always. I never thought of that, I just did. So my, um, my great-grandmother came to me in spirit when I was three years old and told me that my grandmother was going to, to pass away, was going to die. I don't like the D word very well. But I went up to my mom and I said, Grandma's going to die. That did not go over real well. Ended up getting my first and only spanking. And a couple weeks after that prediction, my grandmother suddenly passed away. So I took everything that I was seeing, hearing, feeling, sensing, experiencing to be evil. Because all I was seeing or all I was being told at the time was sad things. And I didn't know that I could sense births and happiness and promotions and all of that because everything was riddled with a lot of darkness. When um, I was about seven, eight years old, I had a best friend, and that best friend was my grandfather. He was the one that's wife, my grandmother, I predicted was going to pass away. He was the only one that didn't look at me sort of sideways and concerning. He never questioned the prediction. He never made me feel bad. My siblings kind of did, but that's what siblings are for, right? So um, they, he became a fixture in our house because of the passing of my grandma. And in the summer of 1978, he was found beaten near death next to his bed in Detroit. And so they immediately took him to the hospital. And in ICU, he was going between consciousness. They knew that he was passing away. But when he came out of consciousness, he would always ask for me. So my parents would come home and say, you know, Grandpa's asking for you. And as much as he was my favorite person in the whole world, he had a dozen other grandkids and he didn't play favorite. And so it was peculiar. And so I wanted to know, obviously, what, why is he calling for me? What does he have to say? And unfortunately, he passed away before I could get that earthly connection, that earthly closure with him. However, they did let me go to his funeral. They didn't let me go to my grandmother's. They did let me go to my grandpa's funeral. And as they were lowering his casket next to my grandmother, in the ground, he was standing next to a tree smoking a cigarette. Yes, we do watch our funerals. So um, they better be good. 
I've, I've had those on Spirit say, they cheapened out on my funeral, seriously. And then they took a Disney trip instead of the best casket. So, um, so I gave him a hug and he felt flesh and blood. And he said, I need to tell you a couple things. I, I, you need to be there for your mom. My mom had lost her mom and her dad and her, two of her brothers in the matter of just like seven years. So she was 40 years old and felt orphaned. And it was her whole family. And so it sucks. And even though she had us, it wasn't quite the same. Um, I will always protect you. And I know exactly what you're going through because I am one too. So he was a medium or a psychic or an intuitive. Now you have to remember, this was the Ms. Cleo days. So it was the Psychic Friends Network making fun of everything to do with psychics. We've come a long way most of the time. We've come a long way. Um, so we didn't really talk about it. It was very tongue in cheek and there was, there was no, I didn't like the label of that. And, you know, honestly, being eight years old, you didn't want to go around with a calling card of I'm a psychic. I talk to dead people. So that was still kind of hush hush. And all I wanted to do was tell my mom, I saw grandpa. He's okay. He's going to go be with grandma. But I knew how well that turned out a few years before with my prediction. So I didn't say anything. And um, my dad, if any of you follow me on social media, you, my dad's a pain in the neck. So we'll just, we'll just clear that air right there. He is a pain. He's a military guy. He's very traditional. His love language has never been the I love you, I'm proud of you kind of a person. Instead, it's like, why didn't you do this? Or you could have done that. There's a lot of criticism that goes with it. Well, his, his love language when he knows that you're upset is to buy you something and nothing's verbal it's always here's a pizza here's a computer here's a new shirt let me sign for a car and that might sound good but when you just want those words and my mom really wanted the words to help her with her grief that's not what my dad was going to do instead my dad said what is your favorite store sally well her favorite store was winkleman's and so they, they took, he took us to Tell 12 Mall, if you guys know, knew where that was. It was 12 Mile and Telegraph in Southfield. And parked me outside of Winkleman's. And with credit card in hand, they went to go shopping. And they were going to spend every bit of my dad's overtime from Ford Motor Company. And he, with, with no, you know, this was going to make everything all better for my mom. So before they had left and, and just just right when they get into the store, a man comes up to me. I'm eight years old. So a man comes up to me, and he has a camera around his neck, and he says, can I take a picture of you? And the eight-year-old in me said, sure. The almost 50-year-old now says, what the heck were you thinking? Stranger danger. What is going on? But I let him take a picture, and he took the photo, and then he said, the lighting's not right. Can you stand up? And I stood up, and before I knew it, he was taking me towards the exit of the mall. And right as we got to the exit of the mall, I felt, well, let me back up. Have you ever been kind of sleeping or you've been napping on the couch and you, f you know the people in your house, you feel the energy of all the people in your house. You know that your daughter's in her room, you know that your son's in the basement, you know that you're, you feel the energy of familiar people, right? It's just, you know that their smells, their walk, all their gait, all of that. Before he got to that door, 
I felt my grandfather's presence around me. My grandpa was a tall man. He was broad. He had a really hard life. He was actually from Scotland and he was sold to a farm in Canada and then kind of escaped to the U.S. to the Detroit area because that was the industrial, you know, revolution at the time. And so that was going to be his, his big ticket. He was a humble man. And I could sense him, I could smell him, and it didn't smell like the person. It didn't sense like the person next to me um, that was trying to take me. And instead, I heard my grandfather yell in my ear, run. May seem like a no-brainer, but if you've ever been in an accident and you've had that slow motion or very fast go, that was exactly what was happening. And so I got away from the kidnapper and ran to my parents, and I told them the story. They called the police. Don't do the math on my age, but that was 1978, and that was the year that the Oakland County killer was taking people from Oakland County. I still, to this day, firmly believe that my grandfather saved me from a very ugly person. And it was then that I realized that heaven wasn't so far away. And so I still hibernated it. My, I told my parents. My parents never questioned me with regards to it. And they never really asked me questions after that either, though. We never talked about it. So I married um, a man a lot like my father, who didn't like me doing anything, you know, with regards to the paranormal. Had two beautiful kids with him. I divorced him. Don't cheat on a psychic. Um, and, you know, we know things. And I ended up, uh, I was working for Northville Schools at the time, and I ended up having every crazy paranormal experience happen in my life. It was like the cap off, you know, the, the cork off the bottle that just lifted, and all of a sudden everything just came flooding through. And so I thought I was crazy, and I did three things. I went to a neurologist because I thought maybe I had a brain tumor. They told me I was a medium. I went to Mind Clinic, if you guys are familiar with Mind. There, I had the greatest neurologist who didn't think I was crazy, but I went to a psychiatrist anyway because I thought maybe I was crazy. Psychiatrist said, I think you're a medium. And I went to my minister who on the pulpit was teaching me that anything and everything to do with the paranormal and anything with this world was nuts and was crazy. And I figured I was going to be excommunicated, and I gave him a reading. And he ended up handing me a card to a local medium and said, I think you need to get a reading. And I, I did for a moment. I did. It was like that Adam and Eve apple thing. I'm like, oh, my God, if I bite this, if I go to the medium, I have, did I lose the test? Am I passing the test? Like, what test? And he wasn't testing me at all. It ended up that the medium was also a Lutheran minister. And so I went to the medium and had, had this appointment. I parked, like, forever in a way, because I didn't want anyone to see my car. And I, I had someone today that came to my office, and she parked forever in a way, and it was the same reason. So I'm like, I understand that. Um, and he closed his eyes, and he opened them, and he said, Christy, you see dead people, don't you? And I said, I do. And he said, do you want a job? So I was working for Northville as an HR manager. And um, on the nights and on weekends, I would work um, as a medium. And across the street was a police station. And I started working with the police because they would come in and they would hand me cold cases and, and not so cold cases to sort of test me. And it ended up that it was something that I was very passionate about. So still today, I work on with the police on a voluntary basis. Um, and I love doing that. 
The other side of it is uh, I ended up um, in that reading. He said, you're going to meet somebody. His first name starts with an R. He is about 10 years older. He's got two kids. He, uh, you guys are going to get married real soon after. And, I'll, and I'm like, no. And I was happy being with, with my kids, and I was just happy. And um, I ended up going on a blind date with a guy that name did not start with an R, and I thought I was safe. And he said, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a spirit medium. And I had never said that out loud. And he said, Cole, can you pass the ketchup? And I said, I think I like you. And so I told him my story and kind of gave him the summary like I did you. And he said, um, you know, my mom's really into this sort of thing. And I've, I've been raised with this. I've seen ghosts. I've had experiences. It doesn't scare me at all. And I said, well, it's just too bad you're not my soulmate because apparently his name is supposed to start with an R. And he turned ghost white. And he said, but my whole family calls me Robbie. Does that count? And he introduced me as himself to me as Chuck. So that would be my husband. So normally I say the guy with the purple hair, but he hasn't do, been doing the purple hair lately. So it is to have somebody kind of believe in you makes all the difference in the world because I kind of had a lifetime of not necessarily not believing, but I think we all go through that. Have any of you ever seen a ghost? Do you go up to the Kroger cashier and tell your story every time you go there? No. You know, or to the bank. I actually do have a funny story. I went to the bank. Sometimes I don't tell people what I do for a living because you kind of have to gauge how they're going to react to that. So um, we went to the bank to like open a savings account and occupation. And I hesitated for like a second. And Chuck said, spellcaster. I'm Lutheran, by the way. They never excommunicated me. And I was horrified. And the guy's like, spellcaster? And he's like, see, now psychic medium doesn't sound so crazy. <laughs> so, and that's why I married him. So the, my point is everybody pretty much has a ghost story. They, even the statistics, 80% of people have had some sort of a paranormal experience that cannot be identified. We might not always understand it. We might not always have an explanation for it. But there is more than this world. And I love my job because I love dealing with the other side. Um, and I love this, dealing with this, because I love helping people who are having these experiences or who might be scared about it. My job has always and will be never to have a ghost zoo. So, and we'll talk about that more. So why do we love the paranormal? Why do we love ghost stories and everything spooky? It really honestly is the good versus the evil. It, it started, if those of you that, that know what, I, I write books, I write books. And one of the books that I wrote was Forevermore, and it's connected to Edgar Allan Poe. Poe is one of the first people that wrote horror and the paranormal. And he actually was incredibly sixth-sensed. He actually helped solve a murder by talking to the ghost of a lady. That's a true story. And he wrote about it in a fiction sense because he never believed that anyone would believe it. And a hundred and something years later, we still have the suspicions of, well, maybe he knew something more and pretended that it was the ghost of the lady. So we always have, you know, a little bit of the suspicions. So the good versus the evil, we get it in comic books and superhero movies. I mean, obviously, 
the Avenger movies are making billions of dollars. We still want to see the good versus the evil. And in horror flicks, I mean, how many times have you screamed at the blonde, don't go in the basement? Why are you following that noise? And our brain is set for that fear of flight. We can actually blame the cavemen way back in the day because we are programmed in the amygdala. There's no test after this, by the way. Um, but it plays a key role in the emotions. In humans and other animals, it's linked to the brain structure that's linked to fear responses and pleasure. And it's the same. That's why some people love to go on roller coasters and some people hate it. It depends on how defined your amygdala is. Fear reaction starts in the brain and it spreads through the body to give that best defense a flight reaction. Um, that's why they believe that those that are empathic or those that are more sensitive and sometimes those that are autistic, that their amygdala is more lit up. They're more connected to that sensitive side. So there's science that goes with it. But it honestly is the connection to um, you know, our brain saying, hey, that's a dangerous mushroom, don't eat it. Or that's a terrible berry, that might be poisonous. Or that snake, don't pick it up. That fear-inducing part of our brain tells us run away. And then we're just crazy enough to run to it, though. That would be us paranormal investigators. So as, as people began to ponder the meaning of life and death, their stories began to reflect the self-recognition that a lot of the monsters that we're afraid of are actually us. I, I had an interview with a newspaper yesterday, and she said, what's the scariest thing that you've ever encountered? And I said, people. I'm more afraid of people than I am of ghosts. So the enjoyment of the fear, how many of you love to be scared? Do you know I would rather go to a real haunted house than one that's got a clown with a chainsaw chasing me? Because my brain is going, he could kill me. And it goes back to, what are you most afraid of? There's a person in that clown costume that could be nuts. But I know that the ghost or the spirit might have a conversation or might want to give me their story. And so I'm not so afraid of that. But I don't, I actually, I don't like horror movies. Don't really love it. So fear produces endorphins. So apparently those of us that don't like that, we, don't, we have enough endorphins. We just don't. So it's also called chocolate. So, But it, it gives the adrenaline rush, the flood of fear, um, the come closer. Remember back in high school when going to the haunted house and the boy that liked you said, come, I'll protect you. That increases endorphins. Um, and the curiosity of the unknown. So there is a difference between horror and the paranormal. Um, horror is meant to scare the reader or the viewer and induce the fear. And paranormal brings about questions and speculations about what happens after death. Types of hauntings. I say that kind of with, um, kind of like with a pun, because we're really not haunted by our loved ones, so to speak but we're visited by our loved ones on the other side. And sometimes we get concerned because we see the flash out of the corner of our eye or we hear our name called right when we're falling asleep or you know we have a weird thing. It typically starts off with 
the weirdest thing happened. And typically it's mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, sibling, somebody on the other side that's trying to get your attention. But then we do have the hauntings that are poltergeist-like. Those are connected to being like the noisy ghosts where you see where the cupboards are opening and closing. And there's a little bit more of a prankster or a trickster haunting. The residual haunting, which is like a loop in the timestamp of the, the dimension. So if you've ever heard the story of you know, some legend where the lady in blue always walks down the staircase at three in the morning on Halloween, then those are residual. And you can't communicate with them and you can actually walk right through them because it's, it's almost like a glitch in the tape. And then intelligent communication is, are those that paranormal investigators love because we can have a conversation with them back and forth and we can get their story and we can see how we can help them or how they might not want to be helped. And then there's a negative energy. Negative energy is different than demonic. So when they have that personality here, they don't go over to the other side and all of a sudden they're angelic. They're still going to be negative. So if they're visiting you, they're still going to be negative. It doesn't mean that, you know, all of a sudden they're cotton candy and cupcakes. They um, are still going to kind of be grumpy. So they're the grumpy ghosts, the grumpy spirits. And then there's demonic. Demonic is something I don't really like to deal with, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. But um, I don't like to dial in on in, into hell. That's not necessarily my favorite, my favorite number to call. So what is a ghost? Um, ghosts are people without a physical body. So our soul and our spirit still keep our memories, our likes, our dislikes, all of that. So everything that you're doing in this world has a purpose, has a reason. And when you cross over to the other side, all of that is still connected to your soul and your spirit. That's not your flesh and, and that's not your flesh and blood. So then the soul departs and it's believed to be an inhabitant of the unseen world or to appear living in a bodily likeness. So why are places haunted? Why? Um, sometimes they're bound to earth. Sometimes they have unfinished business, such as a car accident or a suicide, or um, they're afraid of their judgments if they cross over. Uh, sometimes it's a residual energy, so they're really, their soul has crossed over, but again, it's sort of like they got caught in the loop of. And sometimes they love an object so much that they kind of have their energy stamped on top of that, that attachment. So bound to earth is that they feel somebody can purposely bind a soul to earth um, so that they don't get the choice to go to the afterlife. So I, I told this story last weekend at an event. I went to a cemetery, an old like 1700 cemetery, and there was a, a tombstone and it was in an immaculate condition, but around it was a chain. And sometimes they do that to keep the old stones upright. So I was trying to be very, you know, intelligent about it, but I could not figure out why there was a chain around it. So I went to the historical society with a picture of it and I went to them and I go, could you tell me why there's a chain around this tombstone? And the story with this gentleman 
guess not so gentle, this man, is that he was a terrible, horrible person and he had killed many people in the community in the 1700s. And so the, the townspeople decided that his soul would not be allowed to cross over. And so they kind of did a spell or they did an intention on him during the funeral and they bound his soul to the earth forever. And we see these kind of bound souls a lot of times in prisons or um, in these like Gettysburg, in some of these tragic type of places. Sometimes they bind themselves because they don't think that they're good enough to cross over. And sometimes it's, I don't necessarily believe in a curse, but sometimes it's as if they've been cursed to this world. So don't do bad by anybody because you don't want anyone to bind you to the other side. I believe in free will, free choice. So I believe that you're not necessarily imprisoned, but kind of go into the fact of there's people here in this lifetime who are often their own worst enemies. And it's sort of like that same thing. They can't get out of the loop of the bad luck or the bad junk that happens in this lifetime. And when they pass away, sometimes they still believe, well, this is all that's going to be here, so whatever. And they don't try to find the light or they don't try to find somebody to help them. Or they don't believe in the afterlife. And so they don't want to move on to see what maybe the afterlife will bring. Um, there is a lot of ghost shows. Some of them last a season. Some of them last 10 seasons. But the reality of the paranormal field is that it takes about three to five days for them to film one of those episodes. So it looks like things are happening. I don't know if you watch Salem Live where they had all of the different ghost shows on the Travel Channel and they were in Salem. And it drove me crazy because they kept, right as soon as they were getting something good, they're like, and we'll break to commercial. Or they'd break to another team. So typically, it, you know, they change their clothes after every episode, after every taping of every day. Um, it doesn't mean that they don't get anything, because they do, but it really honestly isn't a jump into a paranormal location and you get everything right then and there. There is tech for evidence. Like I said, I'm kind of the cheater. And sometimes I don't like using the tech because I think that we are our own best tools. So if you've ever gotten the goosebumps or the tingle down your spine or the hair raising or you feel sick to your stomach, stomach or headachey or different physical effects, then I tend to say that's your best tool or the cold or the hot. Not in this room, though. We're, it, there's no ghost. None. So that is, I always say be careful using anything to do with talking to those on the other side or earthbound spirits because it can work a lot like a portal, whether it's tarot cards or a Ouija board. And I don't like Ouija boards. So why is evidence, what evidence is important? All evidence. Um, one of my favorite means of getting evidence is through the recorder. Is taking a recorder and you get, you get what's called EVPs, electric electronic voice phenomena. Um, so debunking. I actually am a debunker. I'm not going to believe that everything is ghost activity, but you want to find logical reasons. You know, if the door is closing, 
is the room crooked? You know, is there a foundation issue? Breezes or hot spots? Is the air conditioner on? You know, like simple things, shadows. You, you want to make sure that you are debunking. Medications, when we do paranormal investigations. I have unfortunately had a lot of people that have had experiences that have mental illnesses. Does that mean that they're not having experiences? Absolutely not. They may be having more experiences because of the mental issues. Hearing voices, and then there's the orbs. And orbs are lens flares, they're bugs, they're dust, it's pollen, it's lens irregularities. Um, I will say I get an awful lot of people that will send me a picture and for instance, it'll be the whole family, the Christmas trees in back of them, the lights are on, dad had just passed away a few months before and there's a big orb and they are like, is this dad? Because dad loved Christmas, and I say yes. Because it probably isn't, but if it's going to make them feel good, then love them. So don't send me any orb pictures, because I might lie to you to make you feel good. Um, it's like ghost hunting. It's not exciting, and it's very rare to get things happen. And a lot of times, you don't know that something happened until after you're reviewing the evidence and you're like, wow, I was communicating with someone really great, which is why I like to do real-time um, EVPs or I like to continue a conversation with the spirit. Um, tips if you do wanna do your own ghost hunt, and I'll get to my ghost stories, I promise, is to have fun and don't take it so seriously. We get the best evidence when we're just laughing. And we're talking about everyday things because they feel like they're participating in a real life conversation rather than, when did you die? How did you die? Can we help you cross over? What year is it? We like asking crazy questions and we like them to participate in the conversation with us. And that's when we get the best times. In fact, the best evidence we get tends to be at bars. The spirits like spirits. Um, not all hauntings are alike. You know, obviously you're going to get unexplained noises at some doors, you know, and cabinets opening, items disappearing, unexplained shadows, and kids and animals are your best tool, except that goes against a bunch of laws, and I can't bring a bunch of toddlers with me or animals with me because then they're like, oh, that's not cool. So, but they really are. They, they detect, you know, the energy. And, you know, if you've ever felt like you're being watched or felt like you're being touched or there's bug infestations, sudden temperature, lights malfunctioning, unexplained smells, nightmares, physical attacks, apparitions, the one thing I always say to check is to make sure that, and this is serious, to make sure that you don't have an electronic issue in your house because too much EMF, electronic magnetic frequency can make you feel like you're being watched. It can give you nightmares. It can give you, and with all of the crazy Alexas and um, the vintage radios or the pretend vintage radios and all of our phones, they can emit a lot of EMF. And there's actually a, a new kind of target of doctor now that's called an environmental doctor, they're MDs but a lot of people are super sensitive to these EMFs 
and they're finding that it causes autoimmune diseases. And so, you know, they're trying to kind of clear out, especially your bedroom, you know, of a lot of these electronics. So I want to tell you some stories of some of my favorite haunts. And um, I've got so many. This feels like a family vacation. And then on this day, we did this. So I'm going to try to group as many, you know, as possible. So Detroit, most haunted Detroit. The Whitney is one of my most favorite haunted places. It's not scary haunted, but it is definitely haunted. And David Whitney passed away there along with his wife. He actually married his wife's sister before, who passed away before the mansion was built. And Sarah Whitney was extremely jealous that she didn't get to live in the mansion. And so it's said that the two sisters fight between themselves in that mansion. David Whitney actually died of a broken heart. He had a heart attack there and he passed away. And it was because his daughter, one of his favorite daughters, was moving away and getting married to a man that he didn't approve of. And so he was um, just completely devastated. And as he was writing a letter at his desk, he had a heart attack and he died. And such a sad you know, type of a passing. But he died in the house that he himself built. He built the railroad to bring the lumber to build the house. And with it, he helped actually build a lot of different buildings in Detroit. He was very good friends with Thomas Edison. It was one of the only, the first houses, the only, one of the only houses in the area at the time that actually had electricity. So it was the fancy house. And in these houses, in the fancy houses, what did they do at the time? They had funerals. We now have weddings, but they had funerals. So there was a lot of death that saw that house. Um, after that, it ended up, it was sold to, it was overflow for the soldiers that were being deployed at one time. It was overflow for the tuberculosis hospitals during the TB epidemic. And it ended up being kind of like a, a house or a hostel for nurses. And so they would live there and then they would see patients there as well. One of my most interesting investigations, I was the ghostess there for a couple of years. And one of my, my, my fascinating happenings there didn't really have anything to do with the paranormal in a spooky way. Although we had a lot of the piano would play by itself and the elevator would go up and down by itself and um, we would see a lot of shadows that would walk, you know, across the, the big hallways. And for some reason, the bathrooms were always haunted. They loved to flush the toilets on unexpecting, especially the women. Um, but I was doing an investigation at the time, and we were using the ghost box. And we were all sitting down. There's about 10 of us. And we were sitting where the nurse's station had been. And um, we're all sitting around. And this young lady is holding the ghost box and we're asking questions. You know, what is your name? Can we help you? And all of a sudden it said breast cancer on the report, on, on the ghost box. And she dropped the ghost box, which is, they're really expensive, so I'm like, and I'm like, what's wrong? And she goes, I was just diagnosed with breast cancer today. I decided to come as a distraction. I didn't want to come, but I really wanted to come. And she's crying and we're crying. And she goes, I really want to ask another question. 
And I said, ask in your head. So the question she asked in her head was, will I be okay? And the answer was, you'll be fine. That was five years ago. She just celebrated her cancer free. And she went to the Whitney for dinner. So she thanked, she thanked the spirits there. Um, and so I, I feel like there's a protectiveness at the restaurant, actually. They are very particular about their ghosts. They actually leave the radio on for them before they leave. And if they don't, they end up having silverware or something ends up breaking. So and um, so that's, that's a fun place to investigate. Fort Wayne, Detroit is next. This used to be my field trips when I was a kid. And I would always say, please don't make me go. And they would always make me go. The reason is it's extremely haunted. And I mean, there is so many stories deep within those walls because a lot of them didn't treat one another right, is what had happened. So there's said to be a couple different demons that haunt the walls of the Fort Wayne. Um, I, I, now that I'm older and I've liked investigating it, it's, it's been interesting. Um, but the Sally ports are extremely haunted. Uh, we have seen soldiers on the roof on guard there. We've taken photographs of it and they've been remarkable and there's nobody that was on the roof and there's nobody with a rifle. And, um, the Sally ports try to go into the, the dark, go all dark just shut everything off and you will feel yourself being touched. The Masonic Temple. I was really grateful. I was one of the only ones that they allowed to do an event there several years ago. Um, and they haven't allowed anybody to do it after. So I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. I haven't asked to do one after that. But the Masonic Temple has thousands of rooms and many of them are secret. And obviously, you know, it's, it's the Masons. So they have their rituals. And with their rituals, they ascend to different floors and different rooms with that. They're very protective of the secrets within that. And that's what the Masons are. And you respect that. Um, the story with the Masonic Temple is kind of a legend. And you'll be hearing it all over because they talk about it being the most haunted. And the story that they use is that the builder of the Masonic Temple was in such financial disarray after he built it that he climbed to the roof and he jumped to his death. That is not true. He lived to a ripe age of 80-something years old. So um, now, not to say that nobody has ever done that there, but it was not the builder of the Masonic Temple. Um, we had probably my most fun... Um, we, we were doing an event and it ended up, do you guys remember Brandy from like the old shows? She was doing a, she wasn't supposed to be, but they ended up having her. She was going to do a show, um, for a release album there. And they had a bunch of drag queens that were there. And I ended up, the elevators kind of get stuck and there's problems with the elevators. They say part of it's paranormal, part of it's not. And so I ended up at one point in the middle of an elevator which, with a bunch of drag queens and I came out with the best makeup ever. And that is real. That really, that's not a joke. That really happened. But there was so much noise from the concert that we couldn't do the investigation where we wanted to. We, we were doing it in the attic, which is unfinished. Um, but they said, we've got a spot in there. I don't know if you guys know this. We've got a spot in here that nobody has been since 1990 something. It's padlocked. We haven't opened it. It's all cobwebbed. 
and there is a hotel. There's an abandoned hotel that's connected to the Masonic Temple. And it's one of those elevators that you have to do this to the doors and to the elevator. And, and it was all cobwebbed and it was all like nobody had been in there for, you know, 25 something years. So we're like, this is amazing. So they let us go in and everyone's petrified of getting on this elevator. They're like only six at a time because they don't know what's going to happen. And so we go in and they let us off in this hotel and there was a radio on. I'm like, no wonder Detroit's electrical bill is. <laughs> but um, we investigated it. It was actually more interesting to see the vintage, the wallpaper, the phones. Everything was in pristine. They had just abandoned it. It had just been padlocked. Really, really, really interesting. Um, another place is Tommy's. So, and they were actually... A, used in so many different ways. Tommy's was a stagecoach back in the day, but they're most notorious for prohibition. And under the, when you go into the basement, there is a tunnel, and that tunnel at one time ran underneath the Detroit River all the way into to Canada. And they were so connected to the mafia Obviously, the mafia was, was very connected to prohibition. So we decided, um, you could, they're, they're open at crazy hours, almost 24 hours. So you can only get in there as, to investigate from like 6 in the morning to like 9, 10 in the morning. So we got there one morning super early. And you can hear, uh, on the other side, there's a church. there, And there's the old horse uh, where they used to tie the hold horse ties, you can actually hear the horses clip-clop in that alleyway, which is pretty cool. But we ended up all sitting at the bar, and we pretended that we were going to do a hit. We were the mob. We were asking them, what's the plan? And they did not like that. And so the cash register all of a sudden just started tick-taping all of the tape all over the floor and until it ran out. We called the owner. His name is Tommy. And we're like, we think we upset your ghosts. We're so sorry. Bye. So um, they love their ghosts there. And they will take you down into the basement if you go there and ask. Tommy loves to tell his stories. Eastern Market, you might go for Flower Day. Super haunted. There's a poltergeist. Ask any of the vendors. So because they built it, it was farmland. It was great farmland. And then they ended up making it into a cemetery. And then they decided it was really great farmland and they couldn't find and reproduce that, that farmland. So they dug up all the bodies and they took them to grow seal. And um, so they believe that there's a lot that they never really unearthed, including underneath where the fire station is. So Roma's is, Roma's is one place that's a great Italian restaurant and it's, it is extremely haunted. It used to be used uh, back in the day as a bordella. And they had to actually remove all of the paper towel, you know, those automatic paper towel rolls, because um, just like Tommy's, it would end up with paper towel all over the floor. So they have regular paper towels now. The Bath Massacre is probably one of the first um, school bombings that ever happened in the nation. This is a really sad historical 
case. It is by Lansing. Bath is by Lansing. And a very ornery man who did not have children was very upset that he had to pay a school tax. Because why should he have to pay a school tax if he doesn't have children? So he did something very, um, very, very sneaky. He ran for the school board. And the reason why he did that was so that he could see the ins and outs of the school so that he could set up a bombing and he could take down the school so that he would no longer have to pay a school tax. He ended up killing many teachers, small kids. It was a fortunate thing that his, all of his, his artillery didn't go off because it saved half of the school. He killed his wife before he did that. He killed the neighbor. And he was just a really sick individual that he even killed all of his livestock. He, um, so a few years ago, I started to get phone calls. And it, there became a theme where I'd say, well, where are you located? And they would say, in Bath. And I'd be like, okay, where in Bath? And I knew that they were in houses that were built on the property of the school. But they didn't know that because this happened way back when. And the realtor is not going to tell them this. In fact, California is the only state that has to disclose a haunting or a tragedy that's happened. So it, it was where they ended up creating, and there is... It, it's so sad. In fact, he was the... I, I don't even like saying his name. The killer was put in an unmarked grave in a cemetery because they thought that they would desecrate the, the grave. So he is still in an unmarked grave, but there were so many deaths that they had to take over two of the cemeteries in Bath. If you go to the cemeteries, it's very sad, but people will still bring different trinkets like matchbox cars for the boys and little dolls and little kitty cats for the girls. And it's horribly tragic. Um, so along with them, those that have the houses there, they often hear, they, they hear the kids laughing. And they, the houses ended up starting to leave them toys out to play with. Old Jackson Prison. Old Jackson Prison is in Jackson. Years ago, they let me investigate this place too, which is amazing because solitary confinement is still open and the tunnels. I had a crazy, horrible bean warden who would do terrible things to the prisoners. And back then, they went to prison for life for stealing a loaf of bread to try to feed their family. So this wasn't like serial killers that were there. This was like very trite things that they were in prison for. Um, this is now condominiums. And they actually have an awful lot of the bars are still in there. And they have a lot of still vintage pieces that are in the condominiums. So what happened is myself and another group started doing these tours and these investigations, and what do you think happened? Stirred up the ghosts. So they asked if we could please stop doing these investigations because they were starting to get scared, and this is their home, and I said absolutely. Um, but it was a fascinating place. We got great evidence. This is where you debunk. There's more orbs, not spirits. And then it looks like there's a ghost of a man. That's not, it's a long shot on, on the camera. But we had 
that building right there is where they used to have the their food, the chow hall. And there was the famous pea, right? Wasn't it the famous pea soup riot? The famous pea soup riot. And they were so tired of having peas and the peas were never done that they all at one time threw the peas up into the ceiling and they made the sound of bullets. And so when you're standing there, you can hear the chick, 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 chick. So not every like historical place is haunted. And that is the truth in a home in Northville. Several years ago, I was called out to a home that was bleeding from the walls. And there was bug infestations. And there was rat infestations. And the furnace was being cut. And the most sad thing about it was that the, the children were being scratched. They'd be in onesies and they would wake up and they would change them and their whole bodies would just have scratches all over them. This is one of the only cases that I told them that I thought that they needed to move. And they did and they never had anything happen. But this is again the whole debunking part of it. The little girl who was very sensitive, she's about three years old, which is a very alert age to sensing spirits. They had moved and the little girl was shaking one day and the mom went, what is wrong? And she goes, I'm just so scared. And she went, oh no, the ghost followed. And she goes, what are you afraid of? And she went, bumblebees. So it was fine. Um, but it was a really horrible, there was priests that came out. There was lots of teams that came out. There was uh, a Catholic blessing. There was an exorcism done by a couple different churches. And it was a terrible, horrible thing because it was affecting, obviously, the humans. They ended up losing a child in utero, and that was a terrifying experience because they do believe that there was a demonic entity that was at that house. So the cause, why, why did it happen? Um, this house or this whole area was actually professional athletes. And I sort of laugh and say, that's what happened to the lions because there was a lot of Detroit lions that lived in this, this, this gated community. Um, but what happened is that area used to be a farm. It used to be an apple orchard. And the person that owned this apple orchard at the time had a lot of free slaves that worked for him. And, but he mistreated them. And they, at the time, they didn't recognize that they could move on, you know, that they were okay. Instead, he mistreated them like slaves. And so he still haunts that area, thinking that everybody is supposed to abide by what he abides by. Whenever we go by, I shudder. Like, it's a terrible, it looks like beautiful houses. The energy just looks like one black cloud over it, which is kind of like what happened at this location. I had a friend in Allegan that owned a bed and breakfast that was haunted, but it was kind of fun haunted. She has Christmas trees in all of her rooms, and she would wake up, you know, and check on the rooms, and all the ornaments would be turned over. It was harmless, you know, issues. The keys would go missing and she would find them buried in the basement, in the Michigan basement. And as much as it was annoying, there was nothing scary that happened. So when this facility came up for sale, she went, well, I've heard that the rumors of it being haunted, but Christy said, this one's not bad, so I'll buy this one. And I told her, no, do not buy this one, but she bought it anyway. This actually started off as a tuberculosis hospital, which wasn't the scary part because after they kind of, you know, solved the TB, they cured it, it ended up getting into the hands of the mob. Now, why would the mob want a hospital? 
because there was a crematorium in the basement. And it made it extremely convenient for people like um, Capone, who would go back and forth between Chicago and Allegan was the middle spot from Detroit and would take care of his people. And then down here, that was where the crematorium had been. Um, I, it is one of the only locations I have ever been scratched at. Kind of a, a cool story with this, though, is that there was a police officer that came, a retired police officer that came to one of my investigations. And he was very frail, uh, but he's like, I have to come here. And the story with it is that his partner one day parked in back of this location and hung himself. And he found him. That day he retired from the force. He was devastated. Never went back to being a police officer again. It had haunted him on a personal level all of his life. And when we started doing investigations, his son thought not necessarily that he wanted his dad to go on a ghost hunt, but he wanted his dad to see the space again, to maybe find some closure. Now, I didn't know any of this. We started to do the ghost box. And what happened was this retired police officer started to have an asthma attack. He's never had an asthma attack before. But the voice that came on the radio was his partner. And he recognized it, and he went into this anxiety attack. And I said, can we talk to him? And he calmed down, and we went outside, and we sat on this porch. And it was just Chuck and myself his son, and the retired police officer. And we talked to his partner, and he got the closure that he needed. And we helped cross his partner over. That was one thing that he always knew whenever he passed by. He knew that his partner was still there. And after all those years, I said, I don't like ghost zoos. I'd rather help them cross over to the other side than have it be a cash cow. Um, this is Mackinac Island. And that is Mission Point. And it is obviously Mackinac. Any place where you stay, any place where you walk, it's kind of like Gettysburg. You are going to be interacting with a spirit. And we were staying in the most haunted room because, of course, I wanted to stay in the most haunted room. And my husband was next to me, and my son was sleeping on the couch. And my husband wakes up and said, um, something's spooning me. And it wasn't me. <laughs> And instead, I said, it's a little girl, and she wants her daddy. And the little girl told me that she was looking for her parents, and she held a live rabbit in her arms. I, that next morning, I have a friend that does the investigations there who does the tours, Todd, and I told Todd, I said, I had a little girl that visited us, and he, she had a rabbit. And he's like, I need you to see something. And he grabbed my hand, and he pulled me to the dining room and said, did she look like that? Do you see the rabbit? Haunted objects. This is a straight farmhouse. It's one of my favorite places to investigate because almost any time you go there, you are going to get a ghost. There's a lot of haunted objects. One of the haunted objects that are there is that doll. That is a haunted doll that we've had to encase because she runs around the, the place. And she scares the, the historical workers that are there. Um, my quick story is I don't like Ouija boards. 
You've got to be careful of opening up an unknown door. You might think you're getting grandma and then you get something else. The house that I grew up in in Detroit was haunted. Remember I said that in the beginning. And the reason why it was haunted was because somehow a Ouija board showed up in our house and my siblings started playing with it. And it ended up being a very ugly experience for many of us. One of the things that it caused was depression in everybody. It liked to face take us and face our worst enemies, our worst threats, our worst fears, and it played with us with regards to that. We ended up, um, my sister ran away from home, my brother left. I was left with my mom who was a manic depressant and she ended up going blind. And we firmly believe that it was the house and the Ouija board that caused it. They tried to throw the Ouija board out, it came back. They ripped it in half, someone brought it back and taped. And it, my dad, even though he's such a skeptic, he will tell you that this was the thing that really spurred the evil in the house. The house was previously owned by someone who was doing occultic practices in the basement. So anytime we went into the basement to do laundry, we were getting pulled on by our ankles and we were getting scratched. We were getting bug infestations. I often say, if you watched Amityville Horror, uh, that was a hundred times worse. And I slept on the couch almost my entire life next to my parents because it was frightening. There will be an episode of my paranormal nightmare that I'll tell my story at on that. It was supposed to air right now. I think it's supposed to air right around Halloween and that'll be on the travel channel. So I've never really discussed that before, but we had a lot of different um, means in the house of trying to bless it. And there are different ways. You can use sage, you can use salt, you can use prayer, you can use intention. And now, do you believe? You know, sometimes it's seeing is truly believing for you to believe. Thank you guys so much for coming out. I do have books for sale. Um, I'm the worst, thank you. I'm the worst salesperson in the world. I have a book that will be out November 8th called Born Under a Good Sign. It talks about your astrological sun sign, and it's kind of a handbook for how to deal with your boss and how to deal with your kid and how to deal with your parent. And it's a fun tongue-in-cheek book that doesn't get into the whole planets and you know charts and all of that, but it really honestly just helps you do real life using that astrological sun sign. So thank you so much. I'll be on the 9 on November 8th, so they're going to help me kind of bring in the the book. So I'm excited about that. So. And I'll be on coast to coast if you're up at one in the morning on November 8th. So they always get me at the worst time. So thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Straight from the Author has been brought to you by MyWarn. To hear more podcasts like this, visit MyWarn.org. Again, that's MIWarn.org.